Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Joe DeRosa started his comedy career in the urban rooms of Philadelphia. And not long after he moved to New York City, he earned a spot touring with Dave Chappelle. With Bill Burr and Robert Kelly, DeRosa co-wrote and starred in a short film called Cheat, which they also turned into a book. DeRosa also has written for TV shows including The Pete Holmes Show and Wet Hot American Summer. And like Burr, he also has ties to the Breaking Bad universe, appearing on screen as the veterinarian Dr. Caldera on AMC's Better Call Saul. He released three previous comedy albums for Comedy Central, and his new hour special, which he directed, You Let Me Down, premiered in February 2017 on Comedy Central. You can hear DeRosa on several different podcasts, most recently engaging in emotional hangs with Kurt Braunohler. He and his dog checked in with me from his home in Southern California, so let's get to it! So I'm here with Khan and Joe DeRosa. Hi. How are you? Joe, I keep waiting for uh, the uh, luxury sunshine of Los Angeles to give you a sunnier disposition. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's evened me out a little bit, but yeah. not a lot. Uh, it's also helped me. I stand out more here. You know, <laughs> they don't have a lot of people like me here. Oh, true. New York is filled with people like me. <laughs> right here, you're a, you're a unique. Here, I'm the lovable grump. <laughs> In New York, I was just another schmuck. <laughs> so uh, here we are. Well, and you know, n- now that Mark Maron has found success, this you can like take his place as the the ascendant. That's my plan. S- star of cynicism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my plan. It, like, like I want it to be like a Tonight Show thing. Like Mark eventually retires, and mm. I, I'm, I'm the Jay Leno of WTF. <laughs> and then you can work out all your bitterness. Yeah. With people. Yeah, and they'll be like, they're similar, but it's just not the same show anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you so. know, I, uh, I know I've said this to you before, but probably not in a long time, and never into microphones, but. My first impression of you was rather striking because I saw you open for Dave Chappelle. Oh yeah, in an arena in Boston for eight thousand people. Yeah, in a situation that could have gone sideways very easily because <laughs> it was Chappelle's first tour since yeah. leaving Comedy Central, and people did not want to see anybody but him, and yet you killed. Thank in you. that room that night, and so you made a striking first impression. I didn't Thank realize you. you were still just a relative wanker <laughs> in the business. I was, I was, I was pretty new at that time. Yeah, I mean, I'm still not. You know, I'm I'm 15 years in, so that's not that's not chump change. So then you were four. Yeah, but it's not on. It's not or three veteranship. Even. Yeah, I was. I was probably about three years. No, no, three, three, four, four and yeah. a half, somewhere in there. It was early. Yeah, that's pretty early uh, to be performing in front of 8,000 people in yeah. front of Chappelle. Yeah, well, it gave me a real inaccurate idea of what this business was going to be like. <laughs> it's like four years in, 8,000 people? This is how you do it. Yeah. This is how it'll keep going. It's like, no, no, it won't. <laughs> no, no, it won't keep going like this at all. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. I mean, it was it was a great way to cut your teeth early. Look, I, I, I'm very, very grateful... Um, that very early on in my career, uh, people 
of great uh, influence and um, and stature and and that I was a big fan of uh, took took a really nice uh, liking to me mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So people like Chappelle and um, and Patton Oswalt and uh, Jeff Garland and uh, Bill Burr, who I was friends with before he erupted, you know what I mean? Right. Like into where he is now. But Bill took me for a lot of that ride with him. And, you know, I, I've just been very lucky over the years that people like that look out for me. Did that happen even because you were in Philly before New York, right? Mm-hmm. Did that happen even in Philadelphia starting out or? Uh, yeah, sort of. Like some some of the guy, you know, my mentor in Philly, the, I had two guys. One was the legendary Wid, who was, who was, uh, you know, the very first ever prop comic, you know, like he's the guy that kind of started it all. And he hosted our open mic night every Wednesday. And Wid was the first guy to take me under his wing. And, you know, here's a guy that was in 2002 or whatever it was, 2001. You know, here's a guy that had been around since 73 or something. Like, you know, some insane amount of time. So, you know, it was pretty incredible to have a 30-year veteran take a liking to me and and give me his insight and – and nurture me and whatever. And then to Ray Gordon, who was the other uh, star personality. Yeah, you know, too, at that club at the time, uh, he he really like was the guy that like took me, started taking me on the road and really showing me the ropes. And he was to raise to Ray is responsible for my first paid club work ever because he pulled me. I got off stage one night at the uh, at the Laugh House open mic. Mm-hmm. He pulled me. Like literally, physically pulled me. Not not roughly, but <laughs> but like grabbed me and was like, "Come with me right now!" And like shuffled me into the office in front of the owner uh, Mona, who has unfortunately since passed away, and her daughter Christine, and said, "You need to be booking this guy on the weekends." Like, and they and they called me the next day and booked me for the weekend, and that was my first club work ever because of Toure. So I, 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 I often, not often, but sometimes I wonder what would have, uh, if he hadn't done that, what would have, you know, I don't know what the route or trajectory would have been, but it certainly would have been different because I don't think I would have started working there at that, at that point were it not for him. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have started to try to look elsewhere for opportunities. And then I, who knows, that's a whole other ch- chain of dominoes that could have fallen. I don't know. What did, what did Wid and Toure see in you even at that? I don't know. <laughs> what were you, what were you doing? What were you doing as a rookie standup? Uh, just being funny, I guess, you know, I think <laughs> but that was, was your the act key thing. I think different? he, yeah. And he knew that I had some bite to me and he knew that I had a perspective, I mm-hmm. guess. And I think that's what he liked about me. Because he also was that way, too. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I remember like a year after that, we did a we did a competition at uh, the Laugh House for a local sports network. And everybody had to audition to see if they could get into the competition. And, and I ended up getting in to it. And uh, but I remember I went up that night and he when I came off stage, he was like, Joe, that was good, man. And I go. Yeah, but so-and-so and such-and-such such killed harder than I did. And he said, but they were feeling you. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's sort of something I've kind of implemented throughout my career where 
there is some value in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't try to go on stage and not make people laugh, but but there is some value in the idea of sometimes the biggest laugh doesn't mean that it's the best thing. Like sometimes it's just somebody's feeling what you're saying and right. still enjoying it, but enjo- enjoying it in a slightly different way, just like with music, you would jump in a mosh pit for Slayer or you would stage dive uh, at a, uh, you know, at a dead Kennedy show uh, or you would dance at a, at a Kendrick Lamar show. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you, you react differently to, it doesn't mean you like one, you know, and you would sit very quietly at a symphony. It doesn't mean you like anyone less than the other. It's just, it's just a different reaction. Right. And like you say, the biggest laugh isn't necessarily the best one. That's why people have such strong opinions about hack comedy because it's going for the big, easy laugh. Right. Right. There's always been a thing with me where if something kills, I'm like, is that shit? <laughs> I, that's my first thought. Anytime I have something that kills, you know, like in, initially kills, mm-hmm. I, I go, is that shit? And a lot of the time I drop that stuff, and it's, that's probably out of a ridiculous level of paranoia. But, like, what I try to do is the stuff that really means something to me is the stuff that starts out bombing and then starts working. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Like, that's... There's something there. Yeah, you push through something, and you got this to work, which means it wasn't easy, at least. Right. But, but if there's more than something there at the beginning, that means something's wrong. It could. <laughs> you know... It could. It can't be that easy. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> if it's yeah. easy, it's not worth yeah, it. Yeah. I don't deserve something to be easy. <laughs> I don't deserve a nice experience. Yeah. So now, it's a pretty sick way to think. But yeah. You came out of like, I want to say you came out of like the same class as Big J and Kurt Metzger. They and, were a little ahead of they, me. Old, okay. Kurt J and Kevin Hart started out together. Uh, they were about a year, two years ahead of me. Okay. Um. And two, two Ray helped those guys out too, uh, and um, they were gone when I started do- going down to the Laugh House in Philly. They were already talked about as the guys that went. Kevin was already on his way to being f- famous. Right. It was crazy how fast he was moving. He already, I think, had a sitcom. Right, I think he was doing pilots pretty quick. <laughs> like the Big House, I think it was called, and he like he was definitely within like I think three years or something had a sitcom. Uh, so those guys were already the guys that had come and gone to New York that people were talking about at the time. And that was, you know, that's how I knew them or knew of them. Okay, so you weren't really interacting with them in Philly. No, I didn't know them at all. I met I met Jay and Kurt at a show at the Laugh House. Mm-hmm. We kind of talked a little bit, not much. Then we did another show in Ocean City uh, months later, and they were on it again. And that was the show where Jay pulled me aside and said, you need to come to New York. Why are you staying here? Because I'd already been in Philly for about a year and a half. And he was like, he was like, you, you just come to New York. He's like, don't wait any longer. It's going to get harder the longer you wait. Hmm. So just, just come now and just take the dive. And I didn't want to because I was starting to get comfortable in Philly. And that's why I knew I had to go. So I did. Same reason why I moved out here. It was when I started to, took me 10 years. But when I truly started to feel comfortable in New York, I was like, okay, it's time to go. So I went to New York and I lived with Jay. He just by chance needed a roommate. Not at the time he said that to me, but a few months later, his situation with his roommate didn't work out and he had to kick the guy out. Uh, and then he said, you, you know, you can move in with me if you want. So I said, okay. So I did. And, uh, and that was it. It sounds like both 
in terms of geographic location in, in just your material, kind of an underpinning narrative is getting out of your comfort zone. If something's comfortable, mm-hmm. it's not good. <laughs> No, you're, I don't. You're uncomfortable when you get comfortable. I, I don't think it is, and I think you see it all the time. With there's a reason why people say about bands and comedians. Well, remember when they were the early stuff is good, right? You know, and I'm not saying they say that about every comic or every band, but the struggle. But the reason it's not even the struggle. I don't think. I think it's once you start drinking your own Kool Aid. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, clearly I'm a genius because all of these people applaud me constantly. And it's like, no, they're, take take 40% off the top of that because that's your celebrity leeway and your fandom leeway and whatever else you want to call it. And now you're working with 60%. So that means you've got to take that and put another 40% of quality back into it. You know what I mean? Or whatever the numbers would be. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a reason for that. There is a reason why a, a lot of artists, eventually people go, well, it's not, it's just not what it used to be. It's like, well, yeah, because it becomes too formulaic or, or whatever because their audience will cheer and clap and, and, and they go, well, that's good. We right. made a good thing here. And it's like, no, you didn't. You, <laughs> you made a passable thing. It's not I, a good thing. I suspect that's part of the reason why Eddie Murphy is talked about coming back to stand up for so long but hasn't i i would agree or speculate that that's probably true i would imagine that he's probably like i i went out on top of that game with raw and like what the fuck can i do but go down from there yeah i, I don't know i it's mean like it's got to be frightening back jordan on the wizards sir yeah yeah exactly <laughs> It's got to be frightening, you know? <laughs> He's got a perfect stand-up legacy behind him, so right. why? But I will say, when he got that Mark Twain Award and, like, started basically doing stand-up and, like, like so seamlessly slipped right back into it, I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy is so good. Like, I, I just, I was fucking blown away by that. Yeah. I just got chills. Are, the chops are still there. Yeah. He's, like, dicking around accepting an award <laughs> and fucking just... You're like, Jesus Christ, man, <laughs> right back into it. Uh, so he's, you know, he's a guy to me like Chappelle where it's like, I don't think he's ever going to, I think the, the flame is so organic and infused and ingrained, it, it can't go away. You know what I mean? Like yeah. There are guys that are just like that. So, um, so yeah. For you, though, like I remember you had the bit about playing gathering of the juggalos was that uh-huh. was that another case of like oh i know this is going to be supremely uncomfortable which means it's going to be great no 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 i you couldn't have fucking <laughs> i didn't go there on purpose <laughs> you didn't go there seeking out the no, i had a friend at the time um who was booking who was a middle agent which means for for the listeners at they home middle agents yeah, there were these things called, I don't know if they still exist, but they used to have these things called middle agents, mm-hmm. which was basically an agency that repped the clients would call the middle agent, and that guy would be the go-between. and say, we need people for this or whatever, you okay. know, and, they can, and this guy would act as a sort of go-between or a hired gun. So, oh, uh, I, for a second I thought you meant agents just for the feature acts. Oh, no, no. Oh, that's <laughs> for, funny. Just for the yeah. middles. No, that's funny. I, only re- I don't represent yeah. headliners, just middles. That's like a or, rich... Or MCs. I don't do MCs or headliners. That's very just... rich Voss of you. That's a Voss joke. <laughs> do you... By middle agent, do you mean somebody who reps your act? 
That's that's like a, such a Voss joke. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> He'll be glad you said. That. Yeah. Uh, so so my friend was doing that. Okay. And he called me and he said, "How do you think you would do in front of a college music crowd?" And I said, "I said I think I would do well." That was the initial pitch. He didn't tell me what it was. This fucker. I, I don't think if I don't know if he knew. I don't know if I mean I knew he knew. I don't know if he felt the need to tell me because mm-hmm. I don't know if he knew what Insane Clown Posse was. Okay. So he just was like, "Okay, I got this festival and you can college thing." And mm-hmm. so I thought it was going to be on a campus, <laughs> you know, outside right. of the student union building. And I land and sort of a weird configuration to, to get from the airport to the hotel, and I. Wasn't students picking me up? And I was like, "What's going on?" So I called Joe Matteris because mm-hmm. he had been there the night before, and I was oh, like, okay. "What's going on? What is this thing?" And he's like, "Oh, you don't know what this is." <laughs> and I go, "No, what is it?" And he goes, "Do you know who the Insane Clown Posse is?" And I was like, "Come on, man!" And he's like, "It's their festival. It's out in the woods." And I was like, "Is it?" So Matteris broke the news to you. Yeah, and I go, "Is it good?" And he's like, "No, it's fucking terrible." <laughs> Like you're gonna have a real bad time out there. Yeah, I think it was a year or two after you did it that they were showing videos of like Tom Green and Tila Tequila. Yeah, <laughs> Hannibal. I remember Hannibal went. Hannibal yeah. went and shot it. Yeah, Hannibal. But I remember him calling me and being like, "The insane." You know what was that like? And mm-hmm. I was like, "Do not go, dude. <laughs> it's not fun, man." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Hannibal, it's not so bad. It's like funny. It's fucking weird and it's a little scary." But he went and he I think he had a good time. I don't I don't know. I mean it's I think I, if I, I feel went like, I feel now like Hannibal, I feel I feel like Hannibal leaned into it. And yeah. was like, all right, this is gonna be something. Yeah. I, I, I think if I experienced something like that now I'd feel quite differently about it. Uh but at the time uh it wasn't the right fit for me. I still don't think it's the right fit for me. But I also think I could have maybe these days dipped a little more into the experience. You know who killed at it, though, was Gallagher. (laughs) He's the only person I know that ever killed at it. And, you know, doing all his, like, street, (laughs) his racist street jokes now. Like, how do you you get a Puerto Rican to buy? You know, like, whatever. So, you know, I don't know. That's (laughs) what you're into. (laughs) (laughs) Other Other than getting some material out of it and a learning experience, did it shape the way you looked at gigs after that? Like odd gigs, hundred percent. Like- it was. It was. You know. Look, I was. I was used to being thrown into different types of situations, and sometimes those situations could be alarming but good, and sometimes they could be pretty bad. So you know, I started in Philly. The Laugh House in Philly was a was a uh, bl- pr- not even predominantly. It was a black club. It was a b- black audience. Uh, most of the comedians were, were black acts. Um, and it was kind of on the heels of Def Jam and, you know, and whatnot. So like, it was, it was that vibe. It was a very Def Jam vibe in there, meaning the TV show, the first iteration of it. So it was a room where, you know, like the audience was comprised of like very tough people, you know? And I don't say that because they're black. I say that because they were coming out of, like, really tough neighborhoods in Philly. Philly. Like, a lot of dudes were coming down from North Philly, which North Philly is fucking rough, man. South Philly is rough. Uh, You know, so they were coming out in uh, in West Philly. Uh, 
All of Philly is rough. I think that's why, <laughs> I think that's why Amtrak gets into so many accidents that are trying to speed through there so fast. Yeah, my opening joke in Philly used to be, where's the good part? Where's the good neighborhood? Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, – but, I mean – so you were dealing with a tough room, and then I was very clearly not just a guy who appears to be a white guy, or, which technically I'm not, but for all intents and purposes, I look like one. Uh, and then I was also very clearly from a different neighborhood, like a suburban neighborhood. So uh, I was used to being thrown like headfirst into like, it's do or die time, man. You know, fucking sink or sail. That's it. Uh so that that part of it wasn't that crazy to me. Uh, the part of it that sucked for me or, or redefined the way I thought was I had never been so vehemently booed by an audience or attacked by an audience for no good reason. And that's the part that made me go like, yeah, I don't, you know, some situations just you're just kind of asking for trouble. You know what I mean? Right. I could deal with I could deal with going into a, a comedy room in South Philly or whatever and bombing and them not liking me, mm-hmm. but them being willing to listen, the audience being willing to listen and then saying, we don't like you. And even if some booing or whatever came after that, fine. But that's not what really happened at the Juggalo show. It was more just like the show is about us in the audience and this is how we do it. And it's like, I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do shit like that anymore, man. Sounds you know? kind of like Bill Burr's experience in Philly for the Opie <laughs> Anthony tour. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I think they were Just probably like, quite similar. Uh, <laughs> Did you and Bill bond over that stuff or no? No. No. More of drumming? No, I've never even talked to him about that, which is odd. Yeah. Because uh, I'm from there and that video went pretty viral, but we never... I don't think I've ever once fucking talked to him about that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's too much drumming to do. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Exa- yeah. We we yeah we did we did initially bond over being drummers <laughs> and being we the first time I met Bill I drove us in the wrong direction from a gig and we were we were six hours in the wrong direction <laughs> and I had to turn around. At what point did you realize? Uh, when we saw signs for Buffalo and we were supposed to be near Queens, we were like, <laughs> he's like, why are we seeing signs for Buffalo? And I realized I took us in the wrong direction. It's literally the first time I ever hung out with him. And he was like, and he's like, God damn it, DeRosa, what the fuck? What did you do? And then I was like, oh, fuck you. You're running your fucking mouth in the driver's seat or the passenger seat. I can't fucking focus, man. Stop <laughs> yelling at me. Stop ranting. And that was it. Our friendship was just off and running. <laughs> Just, I was going to say, normally that kind of uh, initial incident means you never work with that person again. No, that made him go. He's like, you're me 10 years ago. Like, we re- we related to each other. <laughs> so that's how we became friends. But you didn't move out here because he moved out here, right? No, no, you, he was out here. Did you move out here for the for Pete Holmes show? Or? No, well, sort of. I uh Cause I know Bill you moved out here five years before I moved out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was out here. I had decided I was going to move out here. Okay. And my plan was to move in December of whatever year that, or in January of whatever that new year was going to be. Uh, and the second I made the decision to move, coincidentally, is that going to be too That's loud? Fine. Sorry, my dog is scratching his neck and he's got a million. It's like Mr. T. Look at all that. <laughs> 
Look at all those medallions. Uh, he uh, anyway, I, I decided I was going to move that January, and then coincidentally, like the minute I decided I was going to move, Pete called me and said, "We have an opening for a writer." So then I that made me move months earlier, but uh, in like November. Okay. So it sort of moved for the show, but I was going to move anyway. Had you worked on a television show behind the scenes before that? I had, but it was it was always consultant work. It wasn't official WGA staffed, whatever. You know, I did some stuff on the uh, Victoria's Secret fashion show one year. and <laughs> Runway some, consultant? Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> I don't know what I was doing there. It was a fun time and nice people that I worked with. I was just, I just thought it was yeah, a very what, wait, odd job that I wait, got. Wait, what was your job for the Victoria's Secret fashion? To write, to write on it, like to be a consultant and help with the script. Like the voiceovers? And, they had done all these, I don't know, they were doing these backstage things that year. and I had to, That were more like bits? They were not even, they weren't comedic. That's why I didn't understand why I was there. <laughs> and none of the shit I pitched got in anyway. So mm-hmm. I just kind of was there to be, I was paid to just kind of be there and hmm. hang around while models stood around. I, I had so little to do that I was panic. like I would panicking, I was panicking and I'd go up to the people that had hired me and say like, what, should I be doing anything right now? And they'd be like, no, no, no you're fine. Like, it was a very odd gig, but it was fun. Uh yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd done some punch-up work and stuff, you know, just consulting right. shit. But uh, but then I uh, the first real job I ever had where it was like you report every day at this time and and you're credited as a writer was uh, Pete's, Pete's show. And you've done more shows since then, right? I did that. Then I did uh, uh, Wet Hot American Summer. And then I did... For Netflix. Yeah. And then I did... Um, uh, Jeff and some aliens on Comedy Central, and then I did a couple weeks at Pete's new show, and then I did Moshe Kasher's pilot for a few, I was on for a few weeks for his pilot, and then that was it. That was when I kind of I had a great experience everywhere, and I just decided I'm done. I can't staff for other people anymore. It's taking too much of my energy and too much of my creative juice, uh, and I have to start focusing on my own stuff. And I did. And now, you know, we have a pilot in the works, so we'll see, hopefully that goes. What was that moment that you realized you needed to turn the focus back on your own work? I started to notice I was, I, was, I was coming home from these jobs very tired. And I started to notice that that was a pattern that wasn't a thing that would just happen sometimes. By the time the, you'd have the fourth job, you're like, Jesus, I go home from these things and I'm just fucking wiped. And I, I wouldn't want to, I'd be, I was canceling sets. I didn't want to do sets. I'd get home. I was like, ugh. I, so you were just working a job. You weren't, out. A, you weren't a comedian anymore. You were just yeah. an office person. And then I also noticed I was getting mouthier and mouthier with each job. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is because I'm a comedian and I want to do my own thing. <laughs> so uh, fortunately, everybody seemed to like that. <laughs> okay. Moshe liked it. Uh I remember saying to Moshe, if you ever think I'm being too candid or disrespectful, uh, t- you can tell me to shut up. And he was like, no, no, no. That's why I like you. Like, yeah. please do that. <laughs> that's, that's kind of in Moshe's <laughs> wheelhouse. Yeah. And I was like, I, and I, I took that. Moshe's a good friend. And I took that as like, this is a sign. I lucked out. I've gotten a bunch of jobs in a row where they wanted the sort of prickly guy in the room. And they appreciated my stand up and they worked with me and whatever the Moshe experience was great. It's time to go. It's time to move on. It's time to put all this into my own thing. And that was it. You know, always leave on good terms, man, you know, or try to, because <laughs> if, you know, it's nobody wants to you know, leave bitterly. It's 
and then there's regret and all this other right. crap. You know? end up with that phrase, you'll never work in this town again. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's nice to leave and go, that was good, and it was, it was productive, and it was fruitful, but I did enough of that. Because I, I think staff, for, for somebody in my position, look, I think staff writing for certain people is great. Like, certain people are cut out for it, and that's great, and they make shitloads of money and have shitloads of success. That's awesome. For a guy like me, I was starting to feel like a heist man. It was like, oh, just one more job. One more job, baby, then I'll retire. <laughs> if I can you know? get on one show that reaches syndication and then I'm set. Yeah, yeah. And you can't, I was like, you can't think like this because then you end up in whatever your version of the prison is. You, you are, you, it will go wrong eventually. And so I left. I left. And you directed your own special. Yeah. Had you directed before? Yeah. Yeah, I directed a... Uh, a short film that Bobby Kelly and Bill Burr and I did called Cheat. Oh, for the book that you guys did together. We did the movie first. The book was a derivative of okay. the movie. Yeah. Uh, so I directed that. I directed over the years a bunch of... I had a bunch of web deals over the years where I would write and direct and produce and act and stuff that I created. I know you had one with Nikki. Glazer. Yeah, that was called uh, We Should Break Up. That was with, for um, HeadGum. They're not headgum, excuse Comedy me. Central? That's a podcast network. <laughs> uh, uh, it was no, that wasn't. That was um, uh, um, well, whatever the fuck it was for. I don't. I can't remember. Uh, I don't think they're around anymore. Uh, then uh, I did one for Warner Brothers called "We Should." Um, uh, what are we waiting for? Mm-hmm. That was about music. And that was fun because I did. I got the, for "We Should Break Up." I brought Nikki in because I thought it worked better as a show about a couple. Um, but originally it was supposed to be me with a different girl every week. Oh, okay. Uh, to show like a guy trying to figure it out because he was single and he couldn't. And then I thought there was already something out there like that. I found out and I thought, okay, well, it'd be more interesting anyway if I made it about, at least for what I was trying to do, it would be more interesting if I made it about a couple that cl- clearly shouldn't be together. And... I showed Nikki some of the scripts and she really liked them. And, and I said, I think you should just play my girlfriend in this. And she did. And she was great. Um, we had fun doing that. That was a lot of fun. And we had dated before that. So like right, so briefly, but, but it, it allowed us a, it allowed us a kind of cool hook with it to, to say like, cause one of the episodes was based on something that happened between us. So, um, so that was cool. Um, and then I, you know, the music one though was fun for different reasons. Cause I got to bring in a different person for every episode. So I had Anthony Cumia on one. I had Opie on one. I had Burr on one. I had, um, my friend Carmine, who's a great actor in, in an episode, my friend Mike Robinson in, in an episode, like that was a lot of fun. So, um, so I was doing shit like that. And then I directed these promos for comedy central called house they were called it was called house of comedy they were doing a comedy they were doing comedy shows or tours at the house of blues oh, okay and they were for one night it would be called house of comedy and they asked burr to do all the promos and he pushed for me to direct them and co-write them with him and he and they said yes oh nice so i did that with bill that was fun uh and then you know just shit like that and then like eventually so I, when it came time for the special and we couldn't I, you know, I, from the very beginning, I was pitching this really specific vision to them, and we knew we had to get a certain type of director, and we tr- we went out to a couple people, 
and we couldn't really get exactly the people we were talking about. I really wanted a guy that had comedy and film experience, and it was tough. It's tough. Uh, it's hard to convince a film director to come in and do a comedy special, but then also if they don't have any familiarity with that scene, it could. There's all this bullshit. So, um, but you weren't initially pushing yourself to direct. No, it. not at all. And then finally, we got to a point, and I, I called my manager from. I was. I remember I was in Scotland doing the Fringe, getting ready for the hour, and we needed to find a director. And I remember calling my manager, and I said, "I, I should direct it." I understand what I want to do. I get it. Like if we just get a good team together, we can do this. And then, and then, and then, Comedy Central was cool with that. Thankfully, they didn't have to be. I'm really grateful about that. I'm, you know, I'm shocked that they were. How many times have you done the the Edinburgh? Once. Once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds. It sounds that like fun. that's going to stay once. It was fun. It was tiring, man. I mean, look, it got me to a place with my hour that I wouldn't have gotten to. Uh, and it's still too fresh a thing. I, I would not, I did not, I'm not doing it again this year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, by next year, I might feel the need to go back and do it again. I mean, it is a fucking grind, man. Right, it's a grind. show every night for yeah, a month. Yeah, it's a month. And it's just, it's just a, it's competing against hundreds of other shows. Yeah. And it gets to be, you know, you start to go a little bad shit, you know, by the third week I was like, I was saying that to people. I was like, I, I can't make, and they were like, yeah, you got the third week. You just hit the third week wall or whatever. Yeah. It was a great experience, but mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm, I'm just, it's just not something I'm dying to do again because I don't have a reason to do it. Having an hour that you had to prep was a really great reason to do it and it helped. So in that situation, again, I, I might go back and do it, but I, I don't think I would go and just do it to just do it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, unless I wanted to record it or something. Okay. Great experiences over there, though. You know, some of the best and worst shows I've ever had in my life. <laughs> you know, my dog is, he says he needs too much attention. Yeah. Con, leave him alone. <laughs> Stop. But yeah, the focus is on Joe. This is all about Joe. What did you, he'll, what, be good, he'll do that until you play with him. <laughs> Like, you know, he'll paw your hand. And it's adorable and everything, but sometimes you're like, we're, we're doing something. Well, it's a great turnaround from barking at me for the first half hour. Yeah, yeah. What did you, you know, you said you just did a pilot. What did you learn from being a staffer on all those other shows that made you decide, okay, I'm going to do my own thing and this is how I'm going to do it? I think the most important thing you learn is just you say to yourself, if... If I ever have my show, I would like to do this mm-hmm. thing that this person does. I'd like to not do this thing that this guy does. You know, it's it's paying your dues. It's putting you in a position of an employee. So, you know, you realize, okay, if I'm ever the guy at the head of the table, remember. Remember how this thing made you feel. Remember how this is a thing. And remember when you would get excited about this. Remember how you would get frustrated about this. You know, it's just... It's experience. It's just good experience to have, you know, um, because I, there are plenty of people in this town that get get the boss gig without having any experience. Right. And it's often nightmarish for their staff because this person has never had to be in that position before and they don't understand what that's all about. So I am <clears throat> I am happy to, to have had that experience, it, it, you know, and also too, obviously, it sharpens your skill set and your 
you know, you get much better at writing and submitting and pitching and all these things. What about uh, just conceptually for the the premise of your show? Did it did it help you refine like? All right, I've been I've worked on these shows and I see all these other shows that are on all these streaming networks. Uh-huh. If I'm going to have a show, it's going to be this. Well, for my own thing, yeah, the thing that we're, we're we're doing now is not just me. It's me and four other three other people. Okay. Excuse me. So it was brought to us by Jesse Shapiro and Eric Abrams who are the creators and producers, and then Michelle Boutel and I are working on it with them as talent, and we've helped develop it and stuff. So that that's a very collaborative thing, and that's been great. It's been really great. Um, but, as you know, I have another thing that I'm trying to sell, and, like, that's, that's the thing I'd say was probably a little more influenced by my own experiences because, you know, part of it is, hey, man, if you're going to be stuck in a room for three months or whatever it is uh, writing something... You want to be there. If you don't want to be there, it's fucking slog. It's right. horrible. So that's a lot of a lot of what it was too. What kind of thing could be fun continually? What kind of thing would remain interesting and exciting? What is something a little different? Um, because it, it it gets repetitive really quick. You know, right? I mean, that's that's a question I had to ask myself because with a podcast. People t- asked me about a podcast maybe eight years ago, and I thought there were too many podcasts. Yeah, me too. And I put it off for several years yeah. while everybody kept making more, more and more podcasts. And eventually I felt stupid that I didn't have one. Right. And then I had to ask myself, well, if I do have one, how is it going to be different from the thousands of other right. podcasts? It's hard. That's so why I, had to I put started... a lot of thought into. Yeah. Why am I? Why am I doing? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So. So. Did you face that same kind of process coming up with your own? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because my show, (laughs) I can't tell you the idea. Right. But I can tell you that the show initially was very, um, the the struggling comedian who doesn't quite fit in with the rest of the world, you know? And I was like, it's been done. Many times, and it's been done great many right. times. I loved, I loved Marin. I loved Louis. And you I just, loved you just, Curb. And, and you I just was, worked on Crashing with Pete. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I have to, I have to go in a different right. direction with this because it's, it's just already been done, and it's been done great. So, so uh, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I definitely take that and keep that in mind. And, and you know, it's not that I try to not be true to my own experience, but I try to really keep a, an idea of. What's interesting about my experience versus the other guys, you know? So, uh, so yeah, that that stuff all, you know. Who's who's been who's been giving you the best advice recently, as you <laughs> as you sort of figure figure all this out? Uh, I mean, my managers and agents are great. They're they're very helpful, mm-hmm. and they understand my neuroses, and they. They help me with that. <laughs> you know, they help me. You can go, okay, we've done all the death and dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They help it's talk me off. for a new rebirth yeah. of yeah, Joe yeah. DeRosa. Yeah. They help talk me off the ledge, you know, and they, they help, you know, I try not to get too crazy, but, mm. uh, but they're very, they're very, uh, they're very good at, uh, at keeping, helping me feel protected or, or at least supported. So that's probably it. I mean, you get to a certain age in this business and it's like, you kind of stop asking your friends for advice. 
not because you don't think you need it, but because you're like, it's just you grow up. You just you're just like you got to grow up. It's like nobody's got a right answer. You can bounce things off of people, and right. you can get into tough spots and go. I got to really just talk to you about this. I'm sorry, but you know, earlier on is when you're really asking all the questions. Well, what about in this situation? And then what do you do here? What do you do there? Eventually. You just start to gain enough professional experience and life experience that you start to kind of go, well, man, it's going to play out how it's going to play out. And I have to trust myself. And, you know, and as the as they say, six to five and pick them. You know, so on, on the flip side, what would what would be the first thing you'd say to that new person in comedy who hasn't grown up yet and who's full of naive innocence? Would you uh, stomp on them or would you inspire them or? What would you say? No, I, I never want to stomp on anybody. I, I'd say the most important thing to remember is you're not brilliant, okay? You might be great at what you do. You might be very funny. You might be very effective right now, but don't start thinking you're brilliant. Even if you are brilliant, don't start thinking you're brilliant because that's a bad... That's bad. That's when it goes to shit. Don't ever think of your work as important. <laughs> Think of it as, as helpful. Think of it as a good thing that you do. Think of it as enjoyable for yourself and other people. But again, the second you start to think you're doing something important, you're, you're, you're fucked. You know, these are, these are the things. It's like, it's like maintaining a balance of confidence and humility. You know, it's, 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 it's very important. Being uh, ambitious but not annoying. Being a dreamer but not, you know, lofty. Being, you know, like all these things, you know. So... So you, you, you have to follow that because there is no shortage of people in this town, some of them I know very well, who, uh, oh, they think they're just still old down on the farm. <laughs> just old grassroots. And they are not. They are fucking way over the moon. Uh, <laughs> So it's it's you'll get there faster than you think is my point, mm-hmm. and nobody's going to tell you that you're for the most part nobody's going to tell you that they're they're there. So just you, you need you need to govern yourself. You have to, you have to surround yourself with surround yourself with good people in and out of the business. Have a life outside of the business. Work hard, sure, all that shit, absolutely. But get a dog. Get a boyfriend, get a girlfriend, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a hobby, whatever the fuck it is. Rock climbing, whatever. But just have your thing outside of this. Because if you immerse yourself in this cocoon of madness, you will become a sick person. It's, 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 it's almost unavoidable. There are exceptions to every rule. But that, that's my advice. That's my advice. Well, that's great advice, Joe. Thank you. Uh, thank you for um, inviting me into your home, and uh, it's good to see that you still surround yourself with great people, and that uh, your, you. your dog, Khan, has shown me both confidence and humility <laughs> in, in the same visit. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I appreciate catching up with you. Yeah, I appreciate it too, man. Uh, can I plug my special? Yeah. So You Let Me Down is the hour special album, and special are, are available on iTunes now. Go give it a listen. Give it a five-star review if you like it. And uh, my podcasts are out. We'll see you in hell on HeadGum and Emotional Hangs on Feral. Thanks, Joe DeRosa. Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First 
was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.